15. Today we're going to be in Acts 15, so you can go ahead and turn with me there. I'm uh, Pastor Joe, as Seth said earlier, I'm the one who does not do family worship every single week in my house. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. It was funny. It got me really well. Uh, because honestly, this is a thing that we believe as a church, we want to do, we want to emphasize, we want it to be the heartbeat of our church, that we as families are gathering in our homes, worshiping with one another, but we struggle. Like, I mean, we all struggle, and so I, I'm really thankful that you pointed it out, Seth. But with that said, we're in Acts 15, we're going to be looking at something that is, uh, now that Seth made a joke on me, it is really important. We're dealing with conflict today, and so instead of going out and beating Seth up afterwards, uh, we can have a conflict, no, I'm just kidding. But we're going to talk about how do we handle conflict in our lives, and uh, this passage this week was actually really difficult for me to land on where is God taking us, and so I really believe that God is moving us this way, and you'll see there's multiple instances, but I think we can see aspects from our lives of how we handle conflict, but the, the message is not really like, how do I, here are the three steps of how to handle conflict in my life, in everyday life, you know, that type of thing. This is really more of a, how do we handle the, theological disagreements how do we handle things like that within our lives? And just to let you know, for some reason, I realized it just now. If you see me doing this and I don't go any higher, this shoulder just went weird in the past two days. And so I'm like T-Rexing completely. And so like I might be big right arm if this arm just, no, I'm just, I'm off for some reason. All right. But I want to point you to like this um, uh, story that I saw just the other day. You probably, you guys have probably seen it. I I like to see when people do freak outs, like, in public. Like, I get secondhand embarrassment for them, and, like, it's like, I'd never want to be that person, you know? And there was a, and you guys may have seen this one, uh, a lady had gotten a extra ketchup burger from McDonald's, and they had, like, I guess doused it with ketchup. She comes in... Uh, with this uh, burger that she's not pleased with, and she's like, what is this? And they're like, it's your burger. What, what, what are you talking about? And she's like, what is this? And uh, she kind of starts going off on them, and they're like, what, what's wrong? And eventually she tells them, it has too much ketchup. I asked for extra ketchup, but now you're making fun of me of how much ketchup you put on this. And so at that moment when she says that, she slams it onto the table, like on the counter, and like ketchup spreads everywhere, and everybody's like, uh, that was a little over the top there, ma'am. I mean, like, it, this, the, I like to see these moments where people go a little bit too far, so much to the point the person beside uh, the worker, you hear at the very end, she's like, ma'am, are you on drugs? Like, <laughs> she's like, you're just a little off right now, like doing something a little too far. And I bring up this story because honestly, like, there's times when we want to like just go all in, go crazy, like we can't, but today it's not even really about how do we handle when we're frustrated in our lives, it's how do we deal with conflict specifically in theology, but there's many layers to deal with in like when there's conflict going on between you and someone else, like it's like I want to get to the truth but I kind of want to get my way too, you know, that, that's a little bit of a struggle in it. I want to present the truth in what I believe, but I also don't want to come across as a jerk, you know. I have to lay out my beliefs and 
put them down on paper, and so that's kind of difficult to put myself out there. And then for someone to maybe tear apart what I believe and like, maybe I could be wrong. Like, and then eventually it comes down to, we want everyone to be on the same page, but they better agree with me though. I mean, that's ultimately kind of where we land. So dealing with conflict is not easy. And especially when it comes down to such an important topic that we saw last week of what is the gospel? How are we saved? And um, I want to say this is not, it's not an easy message because it's naturally not who we are to want to receive like criticism and things like that. But I just ask that you guys would open your heart, let God speak and open our ears so that we would hear. And let me pray that for us and then we'll dive in to 22 through 29 first. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak your truth. Lord, that we'd be willing to hear from you and not ourselves. That we would be willing to listen to your word and not what we want or what we think. But Lord, that your, your word would speak to our hearts. And Lord, we would surrender to you. And where we're like going to step into conflict this week, or we know there's a conversation that needs to be had, or when we know that there's a, a, a relationship that, has this structure to it lord i just ask that you would work on us prepare us that we would be who you've called us to be that we would be the people you've called us to be a people of truth that take your good news to the world around us so speak to our hearts today help us surrender to you it's in christ's name we pray amen first point today is we determine and deliver truth so i'm going to read 22 through 29 to show where that comes from so acts 15 22 through 29 it'll be on the screens also, uh, hopefully you have your Bible or something with you that you can read along. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So that we get the like literal letter that they sent, which is really cool to me. That the, the response from the Jerusalem council, they send a letter, which was James's idea. He's like, hey, we need to send a letter to explain to them, to make them... The, the Gentiles that we've been telling them, uh, let me go through what it was. Seth preached last week. They came to this strong conclusion that truth was given by Jesus, that you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You did not need to do extra things to receive salvation. It was through faith alone. And the conversations between the Jews, uh, uh, they, they were saying the Gentiles, they need to be uh, circumcised. They need to do these acts so that they can officially now be saved. And the whole conversation goes back and forth. Then the decision is, is no. 
There is nothing more than grace alone through faith alone in Christ. Peter reminds them of his testimony, how God gave him this dream and he shared with Cornelius. And then Paul and Barnabas give evidence for the Holy Spirit going to these Gentiles as they encountered them and they dealt with them. And then James stands and gives evidence from Scripture of Amos 9, and, uh, verse 11 and 12. So they're building a case for why they believe what they have believed. They're giving different witnesses. Gentiles have believed and have received the Spirit. They don't need to be circumcised. They believe the gospel is what they're trying to say. So let me be clear. The gospel is that we as a people, we as humans, humanity has sinned against a holy creator, a holy God. And because of that, we have a separation between us and God. There's, uh, our relationship has been shattered. And there needs to be reconciliation. And the only way that we can be reconciled with God is not by us working, not by us doing, but through grace, by faith, like they learn here. And it's grace and faith in what Jesus did on the cross. His grace that He bestowed upon us by dying on the cross, taking our place, giving us his righteousness. And we put our faith that He died on the cross for us and that He rose from the grave conquering sin and death so that we could have hope, so that we could have life. That is what is up for stake here in the discussion that we saw last week. And that's what they're delivering, the good news. They're delivering the good news that there's nothing more you need to do, Gentiles. There's nothing more. You don't have to go cut yourself. You don't have to go do any type of ceremony. You don't have to offer anything from yourselves because there's nothing that you can offer. It's only Christ. And when we place our faith and trust in Him, all those songs that we sang, it ends up being, I owe you my life, Christ. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. And so eventually we do, we give our whole lives to Him. But it begins by placing our faith and trust in Him. Not because we earn salvation. And so that was what was at stake here, and that's what they're delivering, this good news to these uh, Gentiles that have believed. So, when we come to important decisions, when we come to conflict in our lives, we must determine what is truth. What is it that matters? What is right? What is not? And delineate those things. Like, show them. And this is crucial, crucial to the church. And this is something that we as a people want to hold on to as a church. The gospel is a non-negotiable. We are not going to say it's more than what the scriptures say and it's not less than what the scriptures say. It's what the scriptures say. We don't say what we want to say because it feels right and makes us feel good. We want to say what God says. Not what makes most sense to my brain, but what is solidified in the Word. If the Word is clear, we hold it tightly. If the Word is clear on a, a doctrine, we hold it tightly. If the Word is not, if it's gray area, we hold it loosely and we give room, for some wiggle room for one another. And so I'm going to actually go into what I mean by that. So a, a doctrine that I think is probably... Highly, uh, highly held and possibly even in this room I might hurt some people's feelings but don't be mad at me 
It's in the Word. Come to me afterwards. If you have questions about what I'm about to bring up, we can talk about it. But the age of accountability. Growing up in the South, I had always heard the age of accountability is 12 years old. I don't know if... How many, let's see if we got some honesty in here. How many of you have been told that your lives, in your lives? No one else? Okay, okay I got a couple. And maybe this is just a Muscle Shoals thing then, okay? Um, but uh, we're weirder over there, I guess. I don't know. No. So age accountability is this idea that kids cannot make a decision because their brains don't work well enough until they're 12. I'm just kidding, fight by all this. It's like, what are you saying, Dad? No, like, but that they can't make a decision about salvation. They can't understand. And because they can't understand, they automatically go to heaven until they're able to understand. At the age where they're accountable for their sin, then that's the point when, well, they're going to hell until they trust Jesus as their Savior. Okay? Age of accountability would say, at 12 years old, that's when it happens, okay? And so, I want to point out, in Scripture, especially if you look up the words age of accountability, never in there, but there's no place in Scripture where an age of accountability is given. It's not 12 years old, and it's, actually, there's kind of only a couple of verses that point to this. One that we just looked at in Scripture, though, just recently is, the, Jesus wants the children with him. They want, he wants them to come to him. But for specific in salvation, 2 Samuel 12, 21 through 23, I think I'll have it on the screen. Is it there? Yeah. Okay. So this is a passage that stands out that a lot of theology has been built around when it's kind of gray. Like, we shouldn't build our theology around gray subjects. Okay, so let me read. This is the moment when David loses his baby in childbirth and then he is mourning crying frustrated and then he starts and goes and eats and they're like why are you going to eat so let me read it it says then his servant said to him what is this thing that you have done you fasted and wept for the child while he was alive but when the child died you rose and ate food he said while the child was still alive i fasted and wept for i said who knows whether the lord will be gracious to me that the child may live but now he is he is dead why should i fast can i bring him back again i shall go to him but he will not return to me so because of that statement from david this whole theology has been built on that all children go to heaven until they are able to understand sin and I think we shouldn't build a theology on just like one text like that ultimately this passage gives the idea that David's hope is that he will see his child again in heaven but he's resigned to trust that God is sovereign over his child's salvation and what happens there. It's not completely clear, but what we know is David has hope in, in his God. He has hope that he's going to see his child. That salvation is in the hands of God, and our God is good, and we can trust that he will do what is right by our children. Okay, Not that it's just 12 years old. But it's, we can trust that God is going to save if he chooses to. If it's his way, he's a good God. But a whole theology has been built around this one idea. And I would say that this idea has caused misunderstanding after misunderstanding in my life. And maybe not any of you guys, since it was like four of you guys only that raised your hand. Because, but this has been passed on as truth 
And the standard of uh, like teaching our children, if this is true, then we should never tell our children so that they're completely oblivious to their stand for the rest of their lives. But that's not what is truth. The truth is, is they are responsible for their sin when they stand before God. And they must trust Jesus as their Savior. And I don't know what happens at a baby. I don't know what happens at a one-year-old, two-year-old, when a passing happens and it's a sad situation. But I know I can be like David and trust our Lord and say, I don't know what God has done in their heart, what God can do, but He can save if He wants to. I can trust Him in that. But I know for us, our salvation is dependent on faith in Christ, and we must hold that as a people. We must not blindly believe things, and I want you to say, don't just blindly believe me or Seth. Like, I'm wrong on stuff. Megan would say, Joe, you, you say you're not, but I'm wrong on stuff. Seth's wrong on stuff. We can have a discussion. If God's word is clear on something, I will submit to it and say I'm wrong. So let us be a people that don't just blindly trust. And once we deliver, I mean, once we determine what truth is, we then deliver that truth. If it's something that we know to be true, we must take it. And so that's what you see here. They're taking the truth that they've been given. They're, they're speaking about it. And we have to be a people of truth. You guys have heard me say this. Church family, this is important. We must be a people of truth. And what I mean by that is in every area of our lives. Because our God is a God of truth. His way is the way. His way is truth. And our world wants to fight that and pull against it and do everything it can to avoid His way. And when we are hypocritical, when we are living in such ways that do not align with Scripture, but then we say, but you've got to align with Scripture. You've got to do these things. You've got to trust the Lord. Then, And our lives don't show that. We live in conflict in front of people. And so it's hard for them to trust what we're saying. If we're not a people of truth, if we're not constantly living truth out in front of people, then they don't want to trust what we're saying about God. And it doesn't matter. Uh, this is going to sound a little rough maybe, but it doesn't matter if that hurts our feelings, if the truth of whatever the situation is points out flaws in our lives. The reality is, is that we submit to truth because we know and you i know everyone in here has experienced this that you feel the tinge and the pressure of the world around us that is believing a lot of nonsensical stuff like i don't really want to go down a rabbit hole but like just honestly there are literally two genders. God created us male and female. And so this idea that there's all these other things and we're like throwing out all these other like non-binary. I'm not even, like that's just not a real thing. And I don't want to offend someone and make someone frustrated or something like that. But the reality is that's just not truth. Like, the world does not point to that. Our feelings say something. Our emotions may bring out something. Our heads may be telling us something. But that is not the truth that God created a people. We're made male and female. And that's it. Like, and we live in a world that's constantly that type of stuff. Like, over and over and over. And like, there's, 
And, I mean, there's a, a lot of conversation to be had about those types of things. But we must be a people that hold truth and not be a people that are just throwing out random junk all the time. And when we have it, we deliver truth. And what I want you to see is there was a hard conversation that they had to have with these Gentiles. They brought up four issues for them. They're, they're like, hey, you've got to abstain from these things. We got some good news. They delivered the good news first. So if anybody ever asks, hey, do you want the good news or bad news? Take the good news first. Good news first. They give them the gospel is, you've received it. You don't need to do anything else. But then they say, there's four things we want you to abstain from. Sacrificing to idols from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. <clears throat> so, they requested that the Gentiles abstain from four particular matters out of respect for the Jewish believers that were around them. The fellowship between them mattered. These were not conditions for salvation. Let me say all these things, there's tinges of sin. sexual immorality, yes, it's sinful. But whether or not they have done it again after they have been saved does not take away their salvation. They have already trusted in Jesus for salvation. And they're telling them, remove these things from your life. Some of them are because they're sinful. Some of them are because it would just offend your brother or your sister. And Romans 14, 14 through 17 speaks to this. It says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is, uncle is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you, you regard as good to be, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let's not, if I know that this is not a sin and I, I'm, this is not an issue that I struggle with, but I know my brother and sister struggle with something, they don't want to be around that, then it is sinful for you to bring it before them and say, no, this is my freedom. This is what I want to do. And so what is happening here in the passage is they're saying, hey, abstain from these things. Some of them are sinful, but some of them are for your brother and sister. Do not harm them. Do not frustrate them. And what do we see them do? How do we see them respond? Well, second point is, we rejoice and we receive truth. Verses 30 through 35. It says, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spoke some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So I want to read from a commentary about what this says in this section. <clears throat> it says, if there is any controversy over doctrine, it is right 
for judgment to be referred to the learned and godly and to those who are experienced in verse and scriptures and especially to properly ordained pastors. But because everybody has to know for certain what to believe, the godly and learned teachers must communicate to the whole church in, in a brotherly manner what they have learned from God's word. And so ultimately, we as pastors are called to lead and point you to truth and when you get it and when the truth is delivered before us, we should be like them and how they responded. They received it. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. Even the kind of negative part where it told them you need to abstain from, from, from some stuff. They didn't go, well, I like that first part, but the second part, no. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a lip about that. Like, you know, let's fight about that. No, they received it with joy. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. There was a good deal to encourage, encourage them about because there was a struggle between, like, there was a conversation of, you heard from Paul and Barnabas this gospel? You heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas? And they might be a little off is what the feeling was probably for them because now the, these other people, these Jews, are telling us something different. So Paul and Barnabas, are they lying to us? Have they been telling us a false gospel? And what they learn is it's good news. They haven't been. You can trust Paul and Barnabas. They are good and we're sending all these witnesses so that they can encourage you. It's good. <clears throat> but now uh, they saw the judgment of the first, that the first church agreed with the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. They have attained what God's children ought to desire most of all. Peace with one another, being unanimously established in the faith of the gospel. And now they are a part of the family. They rejoice because they didn't have to go through extra hoops. They rejoice in finding unity with the church as a whole, and they are happily willing to concede for the sake of their brothers. I want us to think, church family, when it's time to deal with issues, and just naturally in our lives. Are we at aim to be at peace with one another? Or is our goal to be the one that's always fighting with people? The one that's always in conflict and having issues and pointing out problems? Because ultimately, they could have fought back and been like, I don't really, the, the Jews need to fix their stuff. Because they're the ones that, the, the Jewish Christians, they're the ones that are having issues. I know that I'm free to do some stuff. But it's their problem. But how did they receive the, the news? They rejoiced. We're part of this family. We get to be a part of the family. Like, this is a family that we should be close-knit, caring, loving. And when there's issues, we should be willing to forgive and graciously give when it's an issue over the gospel we will fight to the end we will give our lives to the end over the gospel over what is obvious truth that we must hold but when it's my preferences and your preferences like there's grace there's love there's willingness to bend over backwards for one another because guess what i think more highly of you than i think high of myself didn't we learn that in Ephesians together? Like, we should be thinking more highly of the person beside us than we do of what we want. 
Good news though, Judas and Silas came and stayed and taught them to confirm the letter. Over and over they're getting this confirmation. And the reason why they stayed is they were considered strong in prophecy. You can see this. They were strong in teaching God's word, giving truth, edifying. So I, I want you to see, I, I need to start sprinting. We already, I say I have eight minutes left and we're still got a decent amount left. So I want you to hear people, we must be a people that hold truth tightly and we've talked about this and this is should be our standard and this is where we should not budge if it's gospel we don't budge if it's other things we show grace and i want to say this is real application right here guys election season has started there is going to be so much junk on social media so much fighting so much head scratching too like Let's not be people that are known for starting conflict and saying, let's rile everybody up. Let's be a people that stand for truth. I have no problem saying when something gets said that's stated and just say, that's wrong. And give evidence for where it's wrong. Like, do that. Be a person that is able to do that. But give evidence. Don't just go, this is my opinion. This is what I think. And if there's an issue that is being lied about, and if you guys watched any of the debate the other day, there was people saying things that were just false. Like one person says something completely opposite, and they're standing on stage saying, yeah, you're running, I'm running, but we're going to say the complete opposite from one another about something. And it's like, we don't need to live in that world. We need to be people who present truth in our world. So let me say, though, we do not want to be sensationalists when it comes to the election. And we don't need to hitch our wagon to something and never change. We must be willing to see falsehood and dis disagree with it. We cannot be a people who have identity politics. Our identity is found in Christ alone. We're not Republican or Democrat. We're not a Trumper or someone else. We're not those things as Christians. We are Christ followers alone. So let's hitch our wagon to Him and say, my hope, my life, everything I am is for Him, and I will live for truth here on this earth. And so when someone that is a Republican lies, call it out. If someone's a Democrat that lies, call it out. They all, if they're, our standard is truth and Christ-likeness. And so let's live by that. Do you understand, church family? That's what it means. Like, let's our, our identity in life be Christ's followers. And so, when we have conflict, be open and willing to say, yeah, I can be at fault. Megan tells me all the time, and this is something I struggle with. I, and I'm joking, but at the same time, it's true. Like, I, I struggle not to always be right in an argument. Like, I want to prove my point no matter what. And Megan's laughing pretty good up here. It's like, thank you, Lord, for calling Joe out. And, and yeah, honestly, though, like, this is a struggle. If truth is put before me, I, I, I believe I say yes. Like, I will submit to truth. If I see it, if you can prove it to me, if I'm saying it's blue and then you can prove it it's green, I will submit to that. Okay, like, I, I think. But I want to encourage my brother Seth, and this is... Uh, as an example for us to see, we were having, a, or he's having a conversation with his, uh, uh, someone in his family about some stuff and like trying to share the gospel and things like that. And the, a conversation came around to like, w would you be willing to budge on this? Like, where would you be willing to say, 
I can disagree with that or, or, or like change my viewpoint. And ultimately, like, and I was so thankful to hear from th- this from Seth. He said, if something is truth, if it is true, I'm willing to believe it. Like, if it's there, I'm going to believe it. And I was like, I'm so thankful to hear that from Seth. But you've got to change my mind about the gospel, though, at this point, because it's very strong and true here. And so that's, that's how we do. We're openly saying, show me truth, and I'm going to believe truth, because Jesus is truth. God is truth. His word is truth. And if you show it, if you show truth to me, I'm going to latch on to it, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm not going to budge from it. That's the type of people we need to be. Kind of stubborn like I am sometimes when you know it's truth. Not when it's kind of wishy-washy. Like, don't be stubborn like me then, too. When it's wishy-washy, submit to what is truth. Hey, lastly, we prioritize spreading the truth. So here's a completely kind of, this is why it even made it more difficult, a completely side story type moment where Paul and Barnabas, after all this has happened, they stay and they teach for a time in the area, and they have this moment where they break up. Like, they're, they split. They're no longer friends. No, they're still friends. You'll see in a minute. But they, this is like a, uh, like a, a highly debated topic. Why did this happen? Things like that. And I don't have a lot of time to spend on it, but ultimately, I think we oftentimes make too much to do about it when it's really not there in Scripture for us to do. But 36 through 41, read it with me. And it says, After days, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement, they had words, okay? So that they, had, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening, uh, strengthening the churches. So this moment, if you guys were with us through the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, you see why this is a significant moment. Paul and Barnabas went through it together. They traveled the whole island of Cyprus sharing the gospel and had people after them. And then they went north of that and they shared the gospel and just had people wanting to stone them and kill them. And they're in this struggle together, traveling the world together, sharing the gospel, going from town to town to town to town. And to the point where just a couple of weeks ago we saw Paul actually got stoned and they thought they had killed him. And Barnabas is with him still. These two guys that seem inseparable about the gospel, going, going, going on mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Best buds, right? And then they have a disagreement over John Mark, this random guy on the side, right? Like, don't be the John Mark that gets in between these good buds, guys. Come on. No, Acts 13, 13 is where we first saw John Mark. He left them when they were headed to do work. And if you remember, when I studied it then and brought it to you then, I told you it was, it seems, people make it out to be like he was in sin for these different things. And I don't think that's what it is. I think even now it doesn't point to that. I think he was simply like homesick. He was a new believer and was homesick, wanted to be at home, wasn't really the missionary life type of guy. 
He wasn't the one that wanted to hop around from town to town. He was just like, I want to go back home. Okay? And so he heads back home, and now they're wanting to bring him back into the fold. And Paul's like, no. He ditched us once. He's going to ditch us again. And Barnabas is like, I'm the guy that's really loving and gracious and an encourager, so we need to bring him along. So get the two different dudes. Paul, very much the, it's about, and this is what I think the conflict is, is I'm about the mission. Like if he's going to stop me from doing the mission, I'm going, he's staying back. Like they sent him back last time, he's probably going to do it to us again, why aren't we going to do that? And Barnabas is like, but we need to train him up. He's good. We want to use him. He, he's going to be good for us. Like, and so, who's wrong here? I don't think either one of them is really wrong. I think that they just have different views, different opinions, and that's okay. Like, they have different opinions of what they should do, and it caused them to get riled up with one another, though. So, how should we respond uh, from a commentary I read this week, I really like this quote. It said, Flawed humans, even these mighty missionaries, will sometimes face moments of contention. I'm thankful for this dose of harsh reality here in Acts because many dream of doing ministry in a perfect church, certain that a perfect pastor or perfect lay leaders will be with them. But it's just not true. We will all encounter relational challenges while doing God's work. So let's walk humbly and graciously before God and one another. So who's right? Neither one of them. And you know what happens though? God uses this, this conflict, this moment of frustration between these two close friends to show that he's sovereignly in control of this mission. God uses this frustrating moment to then send out two missionary teams. And he splits them and they go into two different areas to share the gospel, to encourage, to do this amazing work. God is sovereign over this split. And you know what happens after this, where Paul goes? He goes and meets his Timothy. And you'll hear more about this in the future. But he meets the guy that he ends up pouring and pouring and pouring his life into. And he might not have done it if him and Barnabas are still tied to the hip like they were. And I love that picture. God is sovereign over this moment. And so the conflict of the moment, and there's a disagreement. We could still trust God over our conflicts, over our frustrations, in our moments of where we're not sure what is right. This is what I believe. Well, trust the Lord. So church family, the real question is that Paul and Barnabas did not let this conflict in their work. What they do? They went and continued the work. The conflict happened, and they said, over and beyond whatever just happened between me and you, I'm still going. You're still going. So church family, what we must ask is, am I about the mission and the kingdom? Is my heart about that? Because the conflict that comes underneath that is different. Like, we will be experiencing conflict when we're out sharing in our world. There will be people that disagree with us. And I hope we have a lot more conflict because we're sharing the gospel with people. Like, I would be thrilled of that. But the question is, is 
most importantly, even though we may disagree as a church family over what color our chairs should be or if Ethan sang the right song today, like any conflict or frustration, anything, the thing that is overarching for our church family needs to be, are we called on this mission? And are we going with everything we have? And I talked about this a few weeks ago, but when we are going with everything we've got, all the other junk falls apart. and doesn't matter that much. So in the end, even for Paul and Barnabas, they decided to separate. But could Paul have continued on the work with John Mark? Yeah, let me tell you how we know. It's because later on in Scripture, we see he asked for John Mark to come with Barnabas. And he says, he will be good for the work here. It's a beautiful picture there. Like, he's like, he, pro- he proved himself that he was about the mission. And he was going to do the work with Barnabas. So church family, most importantly, are we a people that are about his mission? Is it going to dictate everything that we do? Is it going to oversee our conflicts? Because when we're struggling over, if you got the right clothes on today, Joe's wearing jorts, is that allowed? Like, you know, I'm not wearing jorts right now, but if you're wondering. But like, that, that, that type of junk, it doesn't matter to compare to are we taking the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus to the world around us. May that be our mission and our aim. And conflict would fall apart because we are so dedicated to his word. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for these men that were so passionate about your gospel that they gave their lives going to town to town, sharing it. And so that we could hear the gospel one day. So that it could be brought to us. May we be a people that are so committed to your mission that stuff like that doesn't matter, won't get in the way. Lord, may we be so committed that we have a conversation and we deal with it and say, we can agree to disagree, but God, your mission is more important. May that be our hearts. Lord, break where I am not like that. Break my heart where I'm not like that. Break our hearts so that we trust you, that we go and follow after you, so that you could be declared to the nations. Because you deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.